Welcome to the Southside Sermons Podcast. I am Christopher Campbell, pastor of Southside Baptist Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. This message you're about to hear is from God's Word and is offered to you with this prayer that God would give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to obey His Word. May your faith be strengthened in Jesus and may you grow in your knowledge of Him. Hebrews chapter 2 began with an exhortation. It began with a warning, or as we saw, uh, a warning, even an invitation, an encouragement. And that warning was to pay attention to the message that was heard, the message that the Son has spoken, because the Son is greater than angels. And that word of exhortation uh, came almost like a parenthesis. And now the author of Hebrews gets right back in to showing how the sun is greater than angels. So before the sun was greater than angels, and the text made very clear that the sun was and is God. But now in the rest of Hebrews chapter 2, the author is going to point out that the sun is also man. He's also human. Marion, would you read verse 5 again for us? For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. And so Hebrews is drawing us in at first to say we're speaking about a world, and it's a world that is to come, a world of the future. Now, this word for world is a different word than what is commonly translated as world in the rest of the Bible. For example, John chapter 3 verse 16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The word for world in John 3.16 is the word cosmos. But here in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 5, the word for world is oikumeni. Oikumeni. You hear that word economy. This speaks of the inhabited world. It's the world where mankind dwells when this word oikumeni is used. And so Hebrews is talking about a world that is to come where mankind will dwell. Uh, A world that will be inhabited in some time in the future. So what is this talking about? What is this kind of world? Um that Hebrew says it was not to angels that God subjected this world, this economy to come. Notice there's a tension there in the time frame. So this world is something that is to come, but yet God has already subjected this world to someone, and that someone is not angels. And so what in Scripture are we familiar with that has this tension of being something in the future, but also is something that already is. And Jesus spoke of such a thing when he came and spoke of the kingdom of God. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. And he also said the kingdom of God, Luke chapter 17, verse 21, is in the midst of you. And that was with him standing there. And so uh, I believe what world 
the author of Hebrews is speaking of when he's talking about this world to come. I believe he's speaking about the kingdom of God in Christ. It is that which already is now in the present, but it is also that which is to come. Uh, that we will, it's the place that Jesus is preparing for us and will uh, receive us to himself, that where he is, there we may be also. So it is not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. And Mary, would you read verses 6, 7, and the first part of 8? This is a quotation from Psalm chapter 8. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? or the son of man, that you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, as you think about this quotation from Psalm chapter 8, it begins by asking this question, what is man? And so you get this sense of what humanity was originally created to be given dominion over all of the beasts of the earth and everything. God had given Adam dominion. But Adam lost his dominion because of sin. Adam let sin get control of him. And he lost the dominion that God had given to him. And so while Psalm 8 speaks of man, it also speaks of this son of man. And Ultimately, this finds fulfillment in Jesus Christ because Jesus did not allow sin to control him. And therefore, because uh, Jesus was for a little while made lower than the angels, because of what he did while he was in that form, being human through his suffering, through his death, that God crowned Jesus with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Man, that word everything, how do you understand that? What does that mean, everything? All. All. <laughs> That's actually the word there, all. Everything. And the author of Hebrews then picks up in the middle part of verse 8 by saying this, Now in putting everything, all, in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control, meaning there is nothing that can control this Christ, this son. Um, now, man, this word subjection, I remember that uh, we were once in a Sunday school class, nearly merrily, newly married Sunday school class, and we had some guests one Sunday, and it just happened to be the we can edit this out if we need to but it just happened to be the um morning that we were talking about ephesians chapter 5 where it says wives are to be subject to husbands or wives are to submit to their husbands and i remember that caused a great chaos for that whole morning because one of the guests did not like that thought of a wife's being submissive in any form to the husband didn't understand what that means and uh, it is a word that we need to understand. What does this mean? Be subject to. And if you do look at a text like Ephesians 5, you'll notice that it's not just wives being subject to their husbands, but it's also Christians being subject to one another. It's also 
the church being subject to Christ. And so uh, this is not an uncommon word found in Scripture, and it's a word that means to be subordinate to. It's a word that coexists with this theme of humility and an understanding of authority in God's economy. And so everything is placed in subjection, is subordinated to him being Christ. Now, this raises a question for us. Um, You might look around at the world, especially now, and say, well, everything is not subordinated to Christ. I think of Philippians chapter 2 where it says, every knee will bow. Things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that will happen. But as we look at the world right now, that has we don't see that. If, if, if we saw that, there would be no need for evangelism. There would be no need for preaching the gospel. There would be no need for the teaching of God's word, even to the church, or teaching the commands of Christ, because everyone would be subordinated to the Lord and bowing the knee to him. And the author of Hebrews is anticipating this. Man, what's the next phrase, the very end of verse 8, say? At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So, That's an obvious statement that we can agree with. That speaks to our reality even right now. We don't see what we believe to be true, what God's Word says is true, that everything is subject already to Christ. Um, And we don't see that. That word see at the end of verse 8 has the nuance of being uh, perception, something even spiritually perceived. And so you can tell that it's a tension in our faith that we know this is true, but we don't actually see this yet. But would you read verse 9 for us? But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God we might taste he might taste death for everyone. That's right. So notice this contrast between we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him or we see Jesus. And this is the first time the name Jesus is used in this letter to the Hebrews. He's been spoken of as only the son Now we see his name and we see who he is. And Jesus was seen. There are eyewitness accounts recorded to us, for us in scripture, of those who saw him. This is a different word for see. This word for see in verse 9 is a word that means to see with the eyes. And so Jesus was seen. and, and, And in fact, that's what Jesus said of himself, that we see the Father through him. He has made him known. Jesus has made the Father known to us, and we're able to see Jesus, and we're able to see God in the flesh. And we see him as the fulfillment of Psalm 8. 
the one who was for a little while made lower than angels. Uh, think of Philippians 2 again, who being equal with God, thought it not, or thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And what did God do? He exalted Christ who humbled himself. He exalted him, gave him a name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this concept of God exalting those who humble themselves. And so Jesus is exalted. Jesus is crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. And so his suffering, his death was a requirement for him to be crowned with glory and honor. And why is this the very end of verse 9? What does the very uh, last phrase of verse 9 say, Marianne? So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Again, I want to ask you, Marianne, when it says that he might taste death for everyone, how do you interpret everyone? All. 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 So that Christ might taste death for all. And that word taste is a way of saying that he might experience death for all. This is all about the incarnation, God becoming human. And because God became human, he could do something that God could not do, die. And by becoming human, Christ was able to experience that which all of us will experience, death. And by experiencing death, He'll be able to gain victory over death, and therefore the crown of glory and honor. Look at verse 10. It begins with this phrase, for it was fitting. That means it was appropriate. It was right. Indeed, it was necessary that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, when you see that word sons, that does not exclude females or daughters, but it just invites you into that sonship, uh, that inheritance, being a co-heir with Christ. Verse 11 says, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. And this is a great gospel message. This is what Jesus is doing, is he is making us sons, sons and daughters of God through him. Uh, May, would you read on verses 12 through 13? Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers, In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God has given me. And so, again, more of the Old Testament is pulled in uh, from the Psalms and also Isaiah to show that uh, 
none of this is a surprise or a new development, but this was all in the heart and mind of God, salvation history, all planned from the very beginning of what Christ is doing here. And then verse 14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. So Christ gains victory over death by experiencing death as we experience death in our place. And he might deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And we know that sin does put us as slaves to sin. When Adam first sinned in in the garden, every descendant of Adam's from then on was born into this kind of sin, this slavery. And that end of sin, Romans chapter 6 tells us, is death. And we know even in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9, 27 will say that it's appointed for mankind to die once. But you see God entering into humanity so that he might die and gain victory over death. And verse 16 says, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. And this brings up an interesting thought. We know that at some point Satan was cast out of heaven and with him were uh, angels that were cast out as well. Uh, And God does not record for us a plan of redeeming those angels, those fallen angels. And yet he does redeem us through the Son how much he loves us. And so it's just something to think through. Um, Marion, would you read verse 17? If if you have trouble understanding what Hebrews chapter 2 is saying, I think this is the summary verse. This is where you can get a clear, simple statement of everything that's being said. Would you read first verse 17? Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers. We don't quite pick up the strength of the word here in this English translation, but the word here, had to, it speaks of an obligation, much like if we owed a debt to someone that we had to pay. That's the kind of obligation with which Christ had to be made like his brothers. This was a necessity. There wasn't an option here. There was only one way for Christ to become such a merciful and faithful high priest. And this even reminds us of the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, uh, before his death on the cross, he said in his prayer, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, Not my will, but yours be done. And there was no other way for us to be saved. That word propitiation is a big word, and there's some debate about what it means, but 
Propitiation is a word that means atonement. And atonement, I always like to break it down, at one meant. And so atonement means at one or becoming, uh, bringing us into a right relationship with God. I mean, in, in a way, we're always in some kind of a relationship with God. We're either enemies with God or we're sons and daughters of God through Christ. But this propitiation speaks to how that is possible. And it's possible because of Christ's suffering and death on the cross, whereby he took the wrath of God in our place that we deserved upon himself. That's what happened on the cross. And by taking God's wrath for sin, God's justice for sin, um, he is able then not just to cover our sins, but to wash them away uh, because he put himself in our place. So all of this is wrapped up in that word propitiation, and it's what brings us into a relationship, a right standing with God through Christ. Verse 18 says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able. Would you say that word with me? He, he is, is able to help those who are being tempted. There, God is very familiar with what we experience as human beings because God became a human. That's really the point of what is being said here in this text. And because of this, God is able to help us in our temptations. Now, if you start to look through this text, keep in mind that it begins in chapter 2 with this exhortation, this really warning to pay close attention to the things that we have heard lest we drift away from it. And you start to understand as you read more into chapter 2 why there may have been a lack of attention given to the message of Christ and why some of the original audience of Hebrews began to drift away from that message. Because we know this to be true even in our own experience that there are many things that can compete and do compete for our attention. And so the things that are most important, we're supposed to pay much closer attention to. Well, what things start to draw our attention away? Things like fear, even fear of death. Things like suffering. Things like temptations. Things like seeing what's happening in the world and it doesn't seem to match up with what we believe. In other words, having to live by faith and not by sight. These things are difficult for us. And what Hebrews 2 is helping us with is to see Christ as God in each of these situations. And so if we cannot see how the events of this world make sense with what we believe, we can see Christ and he makes sense of it all. If we cannot, uh, or if we're suffering, God gives us Christ who also suffered and overcame so that we too can overcome. If we fear death, God gives us Christ who 
died for us and who went that way ahead of us and who was buried but then raised again to life and has overcome death and taken away its power. God gave Christ for that situation as well. Same thing with temptation. If we experience some kind of temptation, God gives us Christ who also was tempted like as we are, yet he was without sin. And so I see God giving us Christ in human form as a great gift in all of these situations. And that's the message to the Hebrews is they're suffering persecution, whatever they're uh, involved in that might cause them to lose focus and to drift away from the faith. Here comes Hebrews 2 at the end, reminding us that Christ is the key to us seeing everything as a people of faith. Thank you again for listening to this message. I pray that God would accomplish His purpose in you through the preaching, hearing, receiving, and believing of His Word. If you wish to share any comments or questions about the message you have heard, please call Southside at 256-353-8814 or visit us on the web at southsidebaptist.net. Also, make sure to subscribe or follow this podcast to receive a new message each week.